By the earth that is her body, by the air that is her breath, by the fire that is her bright spirit, by the living waters of her womb. May the peace of the goddess be forever in your heart. The circle is open but unbroken, Mary meet and Mary part. Well, uh, good evening, friends and fans of Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. I'm your host, Kieran Tate uh, of Voices of the Sacred Feminine here on Blog Talk for the last 11 years. Can you believe it uh, that it's been that long? Uh, I find it amazing. It, uh, this decade has just flown by. I want to thank you for being with us uh, tonight. I know you have lots to do and uh, lots of choices uh, where you get your wisdom and where you get your news, and uh, I am always grateful when you tune in here. And also, just uh, thanks goes out to Elaine Silver uh, for that little snippet uh, from her um, from her cut called uh, uh, By the Earth, and uh, we will let you hear that uh, whole song uh, at the end of the show tonight. Uh, and I'm very pleased uh, to have as my guest uh, returning to the show the Right Reverend Patrick McCollum. Uh, he is back with stories of peace, hope, uh, and inspiration, and we are going to get to that uh, after a couple quick announcements. I just wanted to let you know that uh, on April 15th at the Goddess Temple in Orange County in Irvine, more specifically, uh, the Joseph Campbell Roundtables are returning there. Uh, I actually organize those uh, for the Goddess Temple. Uh, they are fundraisers and uh, continuing education where uh, we have great speakers every other month and um, uh, on the 15th of April, uh, the topic is love as the primal agent of change. So if you're in the Southern California area uh, or um, not too far from um, Irvine, you might want to check that out. Uh, the events, uh, you know, it is a free event. No one is turned away for lack of funds. It is open to all. Uh, they do ask, uh, if you can, that uh, you make a love donation. So the Joseph Campbell Roundtable, uh, April 15th at... Uh I am back, and I apologize for that technical glitch, and uh, thank you, Patrick, for hanging on there. I think you might have been able to hear in the background. Uh, we had, uh, uh, anyway, technical difficulties, but I am back. Uh, so anyway, I was uh, just about to say, uh, if folks are looking for uh, a quality discussion group, uh, there is one starting up on Facebook, uh, and uh, you can find it uh, by... Um, 
Searching Goddess 2.0, Creating a New World. Uh, And it is uh, in part uh, based on some of the content of uh, the new anthology I have out, uh, which is called uh, Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward. Uh, But you do not have to have a copy of the book uh, in order to participate. Uh, So if you'd like more information about that, uh, you can just find me on Facebook and uh, shoot me a private message or uh, just go directly to the Goddess 2.0 Facebook page and uh, request to be added as a member. So uh, that, uh, you know, that's actually up and going um, as of uh, very recently, so you can still get in uh, on the ground floor of that. And finally, my last announcement, and before I jump over to um, what I know is going to be a great conversation with Patrick, Um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, last week I gave a wonderful talk at the Goddess Temple of Orange County, uh, which is also the Museum of Woman, in case um, some listeners out there might not know. Uh, And it was on the topic of inspiring happiness. Uh, I actually gave about... uh, Eight, uh, you know, eight tips on um, bringing happiness into your life. Uh, very practical things, some fun things. Uh, so, if that's something you might be interested in, uh, you can find it on uh, YouTube. Uh, most of my talks we do uh, videotape and uh, load uh, there on YouTube. It's also on my Facebook page. And if um, you have any problems finding um, my channel there on YouTube, you can always send me an email, and I'm happy to send you a link. Uh, So that's Inspiring Happiness, Eight Tips uh, to Bring Happiness into Your Life. Well, okay, Uh, we're going to turn our attention to... um tonight's wonderful guest uh, and I know he's going to have some great stories for us. Let me tell you a little bit about the Right Reverend Patrick McCullum, a pagan elder and uh, spokesperson. Uh, Just in case this is uh, maybe the first time you have uh, uh, had the opportunity to hear him speak, he's certainly been a busy man uh, in in his uh, lifetime. Uh, He is an internationally recognized spiritual leader whose work toward human rights, social justice, and equality for all religions and spiritual traditions uh, transcends cultural, religious, and political barriers. He's a 2010 recipient of the Mahatma Gandhi Award for the Advancement of Religious Pluralism and the uh, 2016 recipient of the United Nations Ralph Bunchy International Peace Award. Uh, He was named as a world Inner Peace Ambassador by Thai Buddhists and was given the title Venerable. Uh, He also served as an advisor for the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and his comments and insights were forwarded in a report to both Congress and the President of the United States. He serves as a development director for the United Nations uh, NGO, Children of the Earth, and helps oversee youth leadership projects around the world. In addition, he serves as the Minority Faith Issues Chair for the American Correctional Chaplains Association and as founder and co-chair of the National Correctional Chaplaincy Directors Association. And he's a board member for four other nonprofits. Where he finds the time, I don't know. Uh, He also founded the Patrick McCollum Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization 
organization promoting a sacred planetary vision that respects religious diversity and advances progress toward equality, human rights, equality for women, and world peace. He accomplishes this through his involvement with many different organizations in different capacities. And as if all of that isn't enough, uh, in 2015, uh, Reverend McCullum was bestowed the honorific title of His Excellency in Lisbon, Portugal, and was installed as a king in Ghana, Africa. Patrick, you've been busy since the last time we spoke here on the show. Yeah, you're wearing me down just listening to my, my introduction. Yeah, yeah just the, listening to your bio. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that you, you have I mean. enough for 10 lifetimes there, and, and I know you don't get paid to do any of this. This is all service to the world. Well, yes, it is, and, and more importantly than even that, it is a direct service for me to the um, feminine divine. You know, it's my, right. my connection with the goddess that drives me in this work. Um. But it has been a, a busy, especially the last year or so, has been exceptionally busy. So um, would you like me to start by explaining a couple of things yeah. that you talked about? Or? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's, um, you know what, uh, if you don't mind, I wanted to start with Standing Rock. Um, sure. And I know maybe, you know, maybe some of the other things are a little bit more important, but um, I know uh, I, I know a lot of people are trying to figure out what's happening over there. I know you went to Standing Rock. Can you tell us a little bit about what you experienced and sure. was it a victory? Was it a failure? Um, where does all of that stand at this point? Because I think it's kind of, it, it seems like like when the holidays rolled around, I mean, there were so many people gathered there right before Christmas, and then it seemed like it just fizzled out. But I don't know if that's actually, in fact, true. Yeah. So uh, to start off, with, let me give you a little uh, information about how I got to be there so you would understand my perception and take of what took place there because I was in a, a unique situation that most people weren't in who were at Standing Rock. And that is that um, the elders at Standing Rock, the Lakota elders and elders from uh, quite a large number of other tribes that had come together, had actually invited me to come to Standing Rock to become a strategist to help them win that battle. So, well, there were thousands and thousands of people who came to Standing Rock over time and camped and supported. I actually was in the like in the no central just few people group who actually or, organize things and strategize and stuff there. And um, there were only a, a few of us who were the actual strategists. There were people that were organizing food things and, you know, who could sleep where and other kinds of interactions, but we were trying to figure out how to win that fight. So with that said, um, I went to Standing Rock in several capacities. First, I was invited by the elders, as I said, to come there and help strategize the actual um, overall protest. Secondly, the United Nations and the World Peace Prayer Society, who the United uh, the World Peace Prayer Society is an arm of the United Nations, also, and they're the ones that had uh, developed, invented, and developed the peace pole. So if you've ever gone to an event and you've seen a peace pole where it says, you know, uh, peace on earth, um, every let there be peace on earth, uh, or let peace prevail on earth, and they're like a four or 
four to eight-sided pole, those were all originated by that organization. Well, they asked me to be the representative for the UN uh, to deliver a peace pole to Standing Rock to signify the stand that we were making there and to become a permanent part of history going forward. And so um, I did that. They delivered the, the, the peace pole. was actually made in Japan, flown to uh, New York, and then shipped from New York to me overnight by air so that I could drive it about 90 miles out into Standing Rock to be able to actually have the elders accept it and bless it and then, you know, install it out there. And one thing that was special about that was that the, instead of putting the normal May Peace Prevail on Earth, they did it in all the languages of the native tribes who were in the conflict there trying to defend their rights and their sacred land. But they did one other thing in order to honor my part in both being the liaison to bring the pole and as a strategist, they also included May Peace Prevail on Earth in Gaelic to, to uh, recognize my pagan traditions and roots so that that would become a part of history. So oh, that nice. is on wow. The, so that's on the Peace Pole for Standing Rock, just so you know, and that's why it's there. Okay. Um, so is, is the Peace Pole still there? I mean, is there any remnants of the camp? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah is, they still have the Peace Pole. And one, there, it's a long story, which probably is not worth getting into now, but the actual site I think people may have heard is in the floodplain and... Eventually, the water rose, and they had to move everybody at the same time. They were trying to evict people, and so ultimately, the peace pole is getting set in a different place, which is still where one of the camps is there, but not the main camp. The main camp is basically washed out and gone now. And um, so, well, but, you know, we heard on the news that Trump signed, you know, signed, um, you know, some decree or whatever it is. I don't know exactly what you call it, but it was yeah. to let the pipeline move forward. Um, does does that mean the fight is over? We've lost, or does the fight no, continue? No, the fight is not over. So to start with, we actually won the fight, which was so frustrating. So we fought all these big corporations, banks, and everybody else, and just a little small group of us making a stand and all the people coming to support us from all over everywhere we actually beat the you know multinational corporations and the banks and and all the rest of the stuff and got president obama to remove the order for us for the pipeline to be able to go through and to order the army corps of engineers to reroute it to someplace else and so we succeeded in that and we also got an actual stay by a federal court and filed a lawsuit, which is still going right now, over the fact that they shouldn't have been able to cross that whole area to begin with uh, because it turned out that the Native Americans actually owned the the uh, mineral and drilling rights. Okay. But all that set aside, just before uh, Trump became president, he went on TV and said that if he became president, he would just take the whole thing with a... Uh, you know, one of his presidential orders, and he'd just wipe out everything. And that's exactly what he did. He made an order and told the Army Corps of Engineers, they're part of the Army, and he's the commander-in-chief. So he told them to revoke all of the 
things that had been won and the agreements that had been made and then gave permission uh, to have the drilling company go ahead and put the pipeline in and had the National Guard uh, and other kinds of law enforcement keep any of us from being getting anywhere near it. So, and that's what ended up happening, and they connected it uh, about a month ago, and they started to run oil through it a couple of weeks ago, and they did their final testing about a week ago. And so there is now oil flowing through the um, Dakota Access Pipeline. So there's no recourse? Is it well, is it over now? It isn't. It, well, so it's a complicated thing. So first of all, it is in federal court. And so under any other circumstances other than the President of the United States just saying he's going to disregard the law and do it anyway, which is what uh, President Trump did, um, we would just be in court and nothing would have been happening and it would have all worked out um, for the most part likely in our favor. But because he did that, and they literally put the pipeline in and pumping oil, it's a whole lot harder ultimately to try to stop the pipeline from being able to pump oil once it's all put together and pumping oil. You know, so they yeah. have that thing, you know, possession of nine-tenths of the law kind of thing. So we don't know what the end result will be. Um, there are several lawsuits still moving forward, and in addition to that, there are ongoing protests and such. But beyond that, there's a new strategy, which I helped develop, which is in play. And, you know, we're just kind of finding how it, uh, how it plays out. And that is this. On your show, I believe it was years ago, one of the early times I was on your show, I'd gone to India. And I got to represent the pagans, basically, amongst uh, elders of uh, ancient and indigenous traditions from all over the world. And at that event, I was honored to be a keynote speaker. And while I was there, I met some elders from the Sami people in out of Norway. And so in this particular case, while we're at Standing Rock, various indigenous tribes started coming and being supportive of us from all over the world. So not just here in the United States, but there were um, South Sea Islanders and people coming you know, from the Caribbean and people coming from Africa and all over the place to support us. So anyway, I noticed when I did research on how the pipeline was being funded that there were about 30 banks funding it. And the first bank listed was the Bank of Norway. And Norway is a socialistic country and the people own the bank. And the largest number of people in Norway are Sami. So I contacted Sami leaders, and they took it to the legislature. And there were a couple other people contacting some other directions. We, we created a whole strategy, and they voted on it. And the Bank of Norway withdrew $20 million from the pipeline project to try to, you know, halt the project. After that, another bank that we worked with withdrew another six or seven million dollars so we got up to like almost 30 million dollars that we took away from the banks and we told them we're taking it away because you're investing in this pipeline then we expanded that and to date we have removed roughly six billion dollars 
$6 billion from the banks of people uh, divesting their money uh, going into their banks and saying, we want to withdraw all our funds, cancel all our credit cards, and we're moving to another bank because you were opposing or you were supporting the Dakota Access Pipeline. So we're now getting in this interesting negotiating place, and I can't go into the details of it, but some of the major banks, when you start taking billions of dollars away from them, all of a sudden they want to talk. And yeah. So the pipeline itself is completed. I don't know what will happen with it all, but the financing of the pipeline and what allows the oil to move forward and everything is all in loans. So we're trying to talk to banks about just calling all the loans and maybe able to shut it down that way. And we're all waiting to see that that's going to be a process. Well, I mean, I know that this, uh, you know, maybe this is just a drop in the bucket, and it's and and there's not really uh, an organized effort. But for people, for instance, uh, I mean, look, I don't even know if like Bank of America is involved, but they if they were, they are. Um, yes. is, is there any kind of organized effort for people who are Bank of America customers, for instance, to protest or, uh, yes. you know, in that sort of fashion? So there are multiple different ways of people who are divesting from banks. So the easiest way to tell somebody to look into that is just to go on Google or Yahoo or one of those and put uh, divesting from banks for Standing Rock or divesting from banks for Dakota Access Pipeline. And then you'll see different organizations and groups because we've partnered with a number of different groups who are telling people there's also a project in play, but hasn't got it completed yet, where one of the foremost web designers in the whole world, actually a person who designed the very first website, and also, I believe, designed the first email, um, has, his company has joined with us and is creating a, a uh, public site like Google or that sort of thing, where you can go on and put the information from your bank in and it will give you the names of other banks that will give you perks for just switching and transferring your money to their bank and and the assurance that they will never work on projects that are contrary to uh, protecting the environment and you know not supporting oil companies and things like that. That is not right, finished right. yet, so it's still hanging out there, and I will make an announcement, those who follow me on Facebook, uh, you know, the word kind of ends up getting out over various lines and such. Um, okay, okay. But so that's the that's um, a bigger thing because that'll literally do it all automatically for you by you just go online. Right, right, right. Makes it a lot easier. Then you don't have to go look for an alternative either, and right. plus you get a perk a perk for doing it. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's I mean we we. We were just talking about uh, boycott Nestle by not buying their products because, I mean, they're basically at the price they're getting uh, water, uh, you know, here in California, and we're in drought. I mean, it's it's a crime, and yeah. you know, it's like you have to you have to hurt you know hurt these big companies in their you know in their pocketbook, and you know, and if we all uh, you know do this kind of thing, you know, pull our support from the banks, pull you know, don't buy Nestle's products. You know, just like we weren't buying Koch Brothers 
uh, products, then, uh, you know, if people consistently do that, then, um, you know, there's a lot of us. So even if we do a little bit, it uh, it makes a difference. Um, I do want to tell you one last thing about Standing Rock uh, before, you know, we jump over into these other things you've been doing. I know it's probably just a drop in a bucket compared to what you were doing and maybe some other groups were doing, but it felt really significant to us here who call the Goddess Temple, you know, Museum of Woman. You know, that's our, you know, that's our yeah. church, that's our temple. And uh, they were actually instrumental in helping some groups out there uh, during the winter when um, they literally, you know, were freezing to death and didn't have money for firewood, but yet, you know, they were, yeah. you know, standing strong. Um, you know, uh, there was a group that was going to sell this beautiful ritual, this deer skin uh, ritual dress. Uh, just so that they could get firewood. Well, the Goddess Temple raised enough money to um, get the dress, but they didn't buy the dress. What they did was they are going to be the, the keepers, the safe keepers of the dress until these, um, you know, till the owner of the dress wants it back. But they raised enough money to send to them to get the firewood that they needed, and and then subsequent donations, you know, after that to try to help this, you know, particular faction, you know, uh, over right. there and and Standing Rock actually try to make it a little bit easier for them to have some of the necessities uh, that they needed. And they still have the dress on display uh, at the temple. I think they're going to put it in a glass case and, you know, protect it, uh, you know, until, uh, you know, with such time uh, the tribe is ready to have the dress back. Uh, So, you know, we did our little part down here in Southern California, uh, too. You know, a lot of people, you know, making donations. So that Um, wasn't a small part. That was a big part. And I'm one of the people who's the strategist who put it together to get money for all the firewood and stuff from all the organizations like yours. So, oh, so I you knew about the that. Other end of it. So when, so when you guys did that, it would have gone through us. Okay, okay, no. there you go. So, well, so, you knew I wasn't um, telling a fib then. <laughs> no, no. Well, just so you know, I mean, now it's over. We couldn't tell people, you know, because we didn't want to give, tell where we were weak on things. But we had a whole bunch of firewood that was donated to us for the overall project. And it was going to be enough firewood for about the 1,200 people that we had anticipated the whole thing was going to require in order to make it all the way through the winter. And instead, what happened is over a period of time, 20,000 people came. And they burned all the firewood up. And so they used all the firewood like in one month that we were going to use for six months. And then we had no replacement firewood because Standing Rock itself is in the middle of a giant river basin. It's about 100 miles to the nearest place you can get firewood. And the government, in order to try to take us down, shut all the roads down that wouldn't allow any firewood to come to us. So the only way we could get it was through private groups of people who were donating and things like that. So you literally kept some people from dying. Well, and 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 well, and, and it feels good to know that you know our temple, you know, did do that. But you know what's really unconscionable about all of this is it feels like uh, Trump enabled this, uh, you know, this oil company to break the law. 
I mean, yeah. that's what it seems like from the outside looking in. I mean, that's in its simplest terms. Isn't that really what happened? Yeah, that's what really happened. So, and the thing is, it'll get sorted out, but he and the people on his side of things know that a federal court case could go on for years. So ultimately, right. even if we end up winning three or four years from now, you know, that, like as I said, it's quite a bit more difficult to have them shut down an oil pipeline that's already put in than to tell them they have to take it someplace else when they were installing it. So right. I don't know what, how it will all play out. We have some strategies and some thoughts about it all, but I can't share those with you since this is an ongoing battle I understand. Um, well, and, and then before, we also have people, I don't know if you in Washington, D.C., who set up there for protests, and we have still all kinds of protests and other sorts of things that are going on in relationship to Standing Rock. It's not over. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know because uh, it, <clears throat> it seemed like it all fizzled out. You know, it's not in the news like it was. So thank you for that update. Um, and before we hang up tonight, I do want to talk to you about, you know, your best recommendations on, you know, what we do to organize ourselves to resist. But let's get to these other uh, other important things you've, uh, you've been up to. Um, so I think last time we spoke here on the air, um, you were talking about the world peace violin, and that yes. was an incredible story in itself. Um, was there any new, anything new with that? Um, yes, uh, something or... really significant. But I want to go back to the Standing Rock and just tell you one last thing, and that is sure. that something happened for me there that is very unique and special, you know, because there's challenges over the years between pagans and Native Americans because of different you know, people concerned about, you know, taking Native American things and including in pagan things. And there's been all these discussions around those kinds of issues. And they've been slowly getting worked out, but there's been some challenge in that sort of thing. Well, the elders decided to come together for my work at Standing Rock and to give me uh, an honored Lakota name and bring me into the tribe. And so they gave me the Lakota name in ceremony there, Unsi Makawokianka, which means he who speaks with the mother. And they had the foremost um, elder of the group, a, a man called Guy Dullknife. He's very famous, and his whole family is very famous and stuff for hundreds of years. And he gave me the name at the fire circle at Standing Rock so that I could be have a connection and forever make the connection between my traditions and the and the uh Native American traditions. So I'm now he who speaks with the mother or Unsi Makawukianka. So, so well, I, well, I think what you're talking about is, you know, sometimes, the, uh, well, for listeners who might not know, it's the idea of cultural appropriation. Uh, yeah. You know, where we where we tend to kind of just. Uh, I mean, I, I know as a, as someone who is ISIS oriented, you know, it might be offensive to African people that me, this white woman, would be, uh, you know, taking as my goddess, you know, a black African goddess, right. and it's it's kind of the same thing with Native American cultural appropriation. You know, we white people, I mean, as if we haven't done enough to Native Americans, <laughs> you know, in, in in our history, but you know, we kind of not 
uh, not intentionally, but we sort of rob their culture, um, you know, of uh, and, uh, you know, say we're doing Native American things when we're really maybe just doing, you know, pagan reconstructionism or something. And right. it, it gets messy and complicated, and it's insulting to them. It's like stealing their legacy, uh, stealing their heritage. But does what happened with you there, Does the, how does that help the hard feeling about the cultural appropriation. Well, what was different about this is this isn't what happens in the in the you know misappropriation of culture where individuals and it isn't just pagans it's you know Buddhists and Christians and all kinds of people do it where they take you know Native American names and they go through various ceremonies and things like this. This is the foremost gathering of Native American elders who came together in history who decided to gift me with a name, and they had one of the foremost respected elders in the entire world give it to me so that no one could say I was misappropriating the Native American stuff. So I see. Okay. So, so they wanted to make a point of it that it's, this is not something you could question. It's, you, you can look up Guy Dolnife and the Dolnife of Pine Ridge, and you'll see Right. They're the foremost warriors and whatever of these people respected back for hundreds of years. And right, right. So, so they're not letting off people off the hook who are doing the cultural uh, appropriation. No, they're not. Yeah. But what, what this does do for us as, say, a goddess community is it creates a bridge. Think about yeah. it. They have named yeah. me He Who Speaks With the Mother, and they're doing so to honor our speaking with the mother and how they see that as that is a related connection to their connection to the mother. And so yeah. it's just, you know, and I don't think we should spend more time talking about this, but I'm just letting you know this is something that happened in the background that's very unusual, and it is a bridge building, and it's a good thing. Yeah, because, I mean, look, it, this is all about partnership and solidarity and bridge building because that's the only way we're going to take back the world for the 99%, you know, is right. if we find ways to do this kind of thing. You know, all of us who are exploited and have somebody's boot on our neck, you know, we're the ones who have to figure out a way to get along and stand together, you know, to fight, uh, you know, these people who are dominating and exploitating and oppressing the rest of us. So right. uh, I totally get it. Um, so with okay, the World so... Violin, the updates mm-hmm. that have taken place with that, first of all, for those who don't know, the World Peace Violin is a violin made out of a 100 fragments of wars and conflicts from around the world. And the entire thing was built by me, guided by a voice of the goddess. I'm not a violin maker, never made anything like it in my whole life wouldn't know what to do to do it again and I created a violin out of all these pieces that everyone said would never work to come together but the goddess actually spoke to me and said when I started the project that it would become the symbol of peace for the entire world and I didn't even fully believe that myself but it was kind of a profound thing and I put it together and that violin has now been blessed by over a million people around the world who put their blessings on it, wanting their voices included in the violin playing as a symbol of peace. And last year at the United Nations, 
on the 70th anniversary of United Nations and the 70th anniversary of the International Day of Peace, the uh, Messengers of Peace for the United Nations, Dr. James Goodall and Yo-Yo Ma, on the floor of the UN, blessed and recognized the World Peace Violin as the official symbol of peace for the world. Wow. And do you still have it in your possession, or is it under yes, glass somewhere? No, okay. it's, you know, there's uh, some museums that are already buying for it and stuff, but right now it just is traveling around the world, and uh, it's, it's been at amazing events. Um, I don't know if you remember last year, uh, there was the very first International Day of Yoga recognized by 255 countries, which was put together by a resolution from the United Nations to to, um, recognize the contributions that yoga has made to the entire world. And the yoga masters of the world came together and decided for me to be the person who gave the opening speech to open International Day of Yoga for the entire world. And the World Peace Violin played because they determined that it had within it the sound of Om, the first sound and beginning of creation, from what Yog, which is yoga, evolved. So the World Peace Violin opened the International Day of Yoga for the entire world, and I got to give the opening speech to go along well, with that. Well, that's pretty cool. And so that's well, another and, and, place. <laughs> and, well, and, you know, and if I could interject here, you know, I feel like there's another layer to this story that maybe, um, you know, I'm sure you were aware of it, but, even if maybe you didn't say it. But, you know, we're living in a time when so many people think it's anti-intellectual to believe in goddess or God, for that matter. Or, um, you know, or or some people want to just say, you know, uh, they, they feel uncomfortable saying goddess is any more than an archetype. You know, I, I know when you and I first talked years ago when we talked about your book, uh, and because I think your book opens with your first experience of goddess. It was a near-death experience, and you had an experience of her, and you had a choice that you were either going to live or die in that moment, and you saw God as she. Um, and now you're saying, again, she spoke to you. She told you how to to put this you know, uh, violin together, and you, I mean, you had to have tremendous faith to follow through on this, um, uh, you know, astounding journey with these fragments of uh, pieces of wood that came together to create this, this violin, and I don't know, I guess I just feel like that's something that maybe needs to be punctuated too, you know, um, for the folks out there who you know, maybe don't believe or or maybe ashamed to say they believe that she is real and she is out there and she speaks to us. Well, let me just tell you that with the World Peace Violin, part the, the story is always shared of how it was created and, you know, that, that the goddess spoke to me and told me to create it and I didn't know how to make a violin. And she told me in actual words that you could hear, don't learn how to make a violin, just listen to my voice. She directed me how to make the violin. I never made anything like that in my life. 
And not only has the violin become the symbol of peace for the whole world, and many of the foremost violinists in the world are now playing it, but the foremost luthiers, some of them in the world, have now rated it to be in the category of a Stradivarius. <laughs> so Incredible. the sound of the violin itself, made out of these, you know, the dust from the vaporized people of Hiroshima and, you know, uh, things from wars in Africa and on and on and on. Um, the last piece that just went into the violin, which we'll talk about in one of our next subjects, is a piece of one of the first bricks made to make the oven to kill the Jews at Auschwitz. So it has all these pieces of things that you would think couldn't possibly make sound. And yet the sound is considered to be in the range of the top master's violins in the entire world now. And the value of the violin has gone so high up that, you know, I mean, it's it's crazy now. And um, so... It's magic. I don't know what right. else you could say. The you know, she spoke to me, and I guarantee you, what are the chances that you know, twenty years ago, a voice comes out and says, "I'm the goddess, and I'm telling you to make this violin, and it's going to be the symbol of peace for the entire world," and it actually turns out to be true. Right, right, and you don't end up in a in a padded room somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's well, the story it, on the World Peace Violin, and then um, all right. So, a, so go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, I, I want to jump over to Auschwitz, but um, okay. but it, it, just very quickly for someone who wants to either see or hear the Peace Violin, is it on YouTube somewhere? Yes. So the best thing to do initially is to go to my web, my foundation website, Patrick McCollum. Dot org, and that's m c c o l l u m dot org, or you can go to the world world peace violin dot org, and then both those have links that you can go and hear the violin. You can see it, you can read about it, you can find out where it's playing next. It's touring the world still right now, and so um, you know it might come to your city or so. it's going to be playing in Pittsburgh for Earth Day. Uh, coming up, you know, in in a couple of weeks. Um, You're not worried for it to be out of your possession? Well, no, it, it'll be in, in my possession. Oh, oh, okay, okay. You're going And I don't know it. how many okay. people know, but so I, I had this violin I made, then I'm going, great, I don't play the violin. I'm not a musician or anything. That's why I didn't even know how to make the violin. And so I did a prayer to the goddess, to say, you know, help me find a musician who can play the violin, and I get introduced to a woman who says she'd like to play the violin for me, and I asked her if she ever played before. Her name is Scarlett Rivera, and she said, yeah, and I said, well, what have you done? She said, well, I was the main partner on stage for all of the years with Bob Dylan and played on his Desire album and all these different things, and she's so, she was named by the New York Times the foremost female instrumentalist in the world, and she is now the ambassador of the World Peace Violin and travels around the world just to play it with me. How cool is that? 
So, okay. you know, we've got um, a lot of good things going on around that violin. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so go to Patrick McCollum Foundation to see and hear the Peace Violin. All right, so the Auschwitz Peace Center, um, tell us about that, because uh, I know that's what you were headed to last time I think we spoke. Uh, that was your next stop, I think. Right, so um, uh, I have two partners, um, um, and myself, who got this idea that the Auschwitz death camp, which is the site of one of the worst atrocities of all human history, um, is a place where people go and they become stunned with the horrible stuff that we can do to one another, but they don't learn something from it other than to go back and think, wow, that's really horrible. So we decided we wanted to develop an international peace center at Auschwitz. And everybody said, we're crazy, you know, can't, can't, I mean, how could that happen and such and such. Well, we ended up going to Auschwitz and over a period of time and negotiations and such, we have managed to get the very first barracks that were created to house the first people who were exterminated at Auschwitz, the very first building. We've managed to have it gifted to us. And we are now doing a renovation project, and it's a huge building, big enough to have about maybe 15,000 people inside of it. And um, that is going to be the new Peace Center, and it's in process right now. Um, I'm flying back and forth to Poland uh, on a fairly regular basis, and my couple partners are doing that also. And so we're going through things working with the European Union, the Polish government, the German government, Israel, you know, the people of Auschwitz, survivors, all these different things, because we need to have everyone on board. And so this is a project that we literally brainstormed just right about the last time you and I spoke, and it has moved so far forward that it was picked up by the Nobel Prize Committee and they have decided to showcase our project as their kind of main peace project for the Nobel uh, Prize wow. uh, laureate. And so, you know, for, for, forgive this, forgive this basic question, but I guess it's the Virgo in me. How do you? How? Where does the money come from to renovate the place and take care of it, and you know, just the upkeep? I mean, do people are people donating money? Is that how it happens? There, there will be people donating money. Right now, what we have is so. Understand this. There are many of the foremost peacemakers in the world would say that the Auschwitz Peace Center will be one of the foremost peace projects of the entire world. And it will go on for hundreds of years, maybe centuries, as being a famous place it was put together. And, you know, I'm, I'm the initiator of that project. So um, what happens is as big philanthropists and people want to put their name on it. And with it. I see. So what's happened right. is we've already gotten a few um, people come and say that they would throw, you know, this number of million or that number of million dollars towards renovating the thing. So we already have some big donors who are going to put in uh, initial money to do some of the main renovation work. And then what will happen is, is that I'll start putting out on my page at the Patrick McCollum Foundation you know, who wants to donate to the Auschwitz Peace Project and be a part of that. 
and then people can make donations directly to it. Right now, we are we, we had fundraising for it. There's not a uh, a specific um, fundraiser right at the moment. There was about three or four months ago, and we'll be doing another one in another couple of months. But anyone who would like to contribute to that project, you go to the website patrickmccollum.org, and it says donate on it. And if you push that donate button, you can give a dollar, ten dollars, a thousand dollars, whatever you want. And there's a place to make a note and just put Auschwitz project, and the money will be allocated only for that project. Gotcha. You and, know, and there's um, ongoing it, it, costs it, in that project right now. I mean, we're flying back and forth to Poland and meeting with people, and that all costs money. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, um, it to it w- would. I mean, that's an undertaking that you could probably take the rest of your life and focus on nothing else but that. You know. Uh, exactly. and, and it seems, you know, and, and in a way, you know, it it seems so logical, Patrick, that a peace center would be put there. I'm almost amazed that someone hadn't already thought about it, because what better place to have a peace center than a place of such horrendous, um, uh, you know, suffering and and. Uh, the words even fail me, but you know what I mean. You know, I mean, it's almost like they put the Sekhmet Temple on, you know, on the ground that needed to be healed from the nuclear testing. So Hmm. here you're putting, you know, the, you know, putting a peace center on the site of Auschwitz. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it it makes such perfect sense, you know. And the thing that is important probably for your particular, you know, dialogue on your show is this understand that the Auschwitz International Peace Center, which is now going to be showcased by the Nobel Committee, is 50% a goddess-oriented and directed project. Well, by virtue of the fact that you're involved, but does will there ever be the occasion that you know she you know uh, somehow goddess is part of the prayers or her oh, image absolutely. or something so like that? Absolutely. There'll yeah. be a plaque, and it will identify. Uh, I will be one of the three founders of the project. There may only name two of us as the founders, but uh, there should be three of us named. And each of us will have our affiliation, and my affiliation will be with the goddess. And, cool. And, and I am the key person who is, or, or I say the key person, one of the two key people, who is determining what will happen there, what kind of projects, how they'll look, what they'll, will happen. So there will be ongoing discussions, goddess-related uh, discussions going on there, in the course of all the peace talks and the peace work for all time now. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I mean, literally, literally, um, you know, here, you know, through through you, through your affiliation there, uh, you know, she is being brought to this mainstream, high-profile, um, international um, site. I mean, what what... Uh, I mean, what more could we ever hope for, you know? No, and that's what I'm hoping for. And and just, you know, and don't even hold your breath for this, but understand that the project itself has been picked up by the Nobel Committee 
And when they showcase projects down the line, sometimes those are the projects that receive the Nobel Peace Prize. So there is in the potential of the work, I mean, you know, I'm still one in a hundred chance or maybe one in 500 chance, something like that. There is a chance that there may be a Nobel Prize given to someone who's from goddess tradition. Right, right. And, and, and you so, know, and let's, 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 let's punctuate this, you know, for listeners, you know, because you and I know it, but let's punctuate it for maybe people who are hearing you for the first time. Every time you make one of these incredible accomplishments, you are doing it in her name, you are putting her front and center, you know, it, it's, you know, you are, or her instrument. And you know this exactly. whole idea. We've all, you know, we've, you know, we've all said let's let's birth her at the center of the world. Let's rebirth the goddess. These are ways that it happens. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a temple built on the corner. Well, that would be well, wonderful, and maybe that's a couple generations down the road. But this is how it starts. So I always give um, the credit to the success of the projects that I do around the world to my connection with the goddess. So, for example, at the United Nations uh, International Day of Peace last year, I received the Ralph Bunch International Peace Award. So that you can have a sense of what that means, the person who received before me was Nelson Mandela. So, and the actual award itself was made by the man who designs the gold uh, medals for the Olympics and they made just a limited number of them, and I received the last one. And so I accepted that award in the name of the goddess. Wow. That's pretty cool. It just puts it on, you know, I mean, there's press, it was on TV, you know, I mean, they even flew on an airline, and people are going, are you the guy that got the award, you know? So it's, it's... it's my way of showcasing my community, and when people say, well, what do you guys do? You know, what, what do you have to contribute to the world? What I tell them is what, what we have to contribute to the world. I can't answer for all of my friends who are doing all kinds of work around the world, but in three years, I uh, help organize the whole thing for Standing Rock, divest in banks from around the world, started build one of the more foremost peace centers in the entire world that Auschwitz created a violin that's been recognized as a symbol of peace for the whole world and blah, 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 you know, received Mahatma Gandhi Award, Ralph Bunch Award, all those things. It, 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 it says that we have potential as a community, not just me. I don't just get up there and say, I am really, you know, somebody who's doing something. I always say that it comes from the principles that underline my community, the beliefs and the philosophy behind it, and my connection with the feminine divine. Right. And, and you know, Patrick, with, with all due respect to my sisters in the community, who some of them um, have a problem with men in goddess spirituality, I say, look at this man, look at this man, Patrick McCollum, as just one example of why goddess belongs to all of us and not just women, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know. So, 
anyway um all right so um so so incredible stuff but you still got more um and I'll go really uh, okay fast, so you got so, well, you got to tell me how you were installed as a king in okay. Africa. I, I mean, that, I, that one kind of makes me chuckle, I have that. to admit. So, uh, <laughs> okay. to start with, I've been doing projects in Africa for about 40 years. So I do peace projects around the world where I initiate projects and try to do things to help bring peace to areas. And so I, the last project that I did together in partnership the Patrick McCollum Foundation and Children of the Earth partnered, and we trained about 100 African peace leaders from countries all over Africa, uh, three-day training on how to bring peace to their various regions. And so this is a hands-on thing. I mean, literally, I'm there showing them what to do and how to do it. Well, a number of years ago, I've done these different projects in Africa, and I was honored in India, totally different thing than we're talking about now. And when I was honored in India, I met the paramount queen of Ghana. So she's like the empress of Ghana. And she's the one who kind of throws names into the hat for people who would be new kings or queens if royal lines die out. Okay? So what happened is in... Africa, they have what are called the kingmakers, and they're men and women who are selected at birth, and they're trained to pick a new king or queen if ever that should come to happen. And sometimes it doesn't happen for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they still, every generation, train people who that's their primary idea. It's kind of like the people who pick out the Dalai Lama, you know, the mm-hmm. new Dalai Lama. It's a committee of people, and they keep changing every generation. Well, a royal line that's been around for a long time in Western Africa, the last person died out. He had two children who were going to take on, and their children died from Ebola. And uh, so, and then the actual ruling king at the time died from old age, and his children died from Ebola. So that was the end of the royal line. So um, the paramount queen has the responsibility of giving or creating new royal families and so she threw my name in the hat with the other people in the hat and in the end the kingmakers came together and i was confirmed to be a king and it's a hereditary kingship in other words my family will be you know my what you'll like about ghana this is in ghana a buri ghana um, what I, I like about it is they prefer women to be the rulers. And so the rule is, is if you're a man and you're made a king, but you have daughters, then you make one of your daughters the next ruler. And then they try to pass it from women to women until there isn't a woman, and then the man takes over, and then then he rules. But when he has daughters again, then he tries to pass it to another you know, woman. So, um, so my daughters will become, you know, a queen there. I didn't even know you had children. You have children. I I didn't realize that. And grandchildren, yeah. 
Wow. Okay. We've never talked about that part of your life. So there's uh, no. I mean, I have a very to... busy life, as you can tell. But <laughs> but the important thing about it, this is, so I was in Africa. I didn't know prior to going there that they were going to make me a king, uh, you know, a chief, a king. And so I now, so so I've been telling you, you know, I've I got these different names. I'm venerable, and I'm a saint in Indian. I'm this, and I'm you know. Uncimaka Wokiano with the Native Americans and all these different things. Well, in Africa, the term Nana means king or queen, and I am now officially Nana Kwabana Osedako Yadam. <laughs> so well, try that's being me. Just remembering all the names and titles I have is <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Well, and I'm and I'm I, I'm kind of surprised. I have to say that they don't require that the king or queen be African. No. So here's the thing: they learned a long time ago, especially in Western Africa. They were very smart. A few thousand years ago, they determined that when they looked at other kingdoms where they kept intermarrying with their own people and stuff, they ended up with rulers who did really badly. And so right. these people are a lot smarter. They go. Who's the smartest person who is really doing big stuff in our world right now that could bring innovation to our kingdom, you know, and get some new bloodlines going? And so, they so don't do you really... actually have? Res... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but do you actually have any obligations or responsibilities to them, or is that just oh, an honorary title? Absolutely, no, no, no. I'm I'm the king. I have you know thousands of people. I'm responsible for them. I'm currently doing a project right now to bring an eye surgeon from the Bay Area with me and his brother, who are very famous, and they're going to come and do eye surgery and cataract surgery on all of the people in our kingdom. And, wow. And, I'm, you know, I'm organizing to do roads. And then I got the issue of uh, Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda are on the borders above, and there's conflict, so I have the responsibility of taking that on and defending against that. So I have many, many responsibilities. Um, you know, it's not just, it's, it's a real thing. I'm, I'm a king. I have wow. a, uh, they gave, I have a throne which I brought home so that I can make decisions that are ruling decisions. I have to sit on the throne here in the United States if I'm not in Ghana to be able to make a ruling on something. And well, if and if you're in Ghana, is there like um uh, like like the White House kind of a thing? Is there a Well, I mean a, there's, a, there's the, a little palace and stuff like that, you know, and and um I mean it's more like a compound, I would call it. I mean they call it a palace. And just so yeah. you know, the line that I've been installed in king in, as a king is a direct line from King Tut. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, so I actually am technically through the tribal thing. See, when you become a king, you become adopted into the family. So when it says Nana Kobana Osedarko Yidam, the Yidam is the line of family. And so that's all coming together from that. And then the other names talk about who I am and what my relationship to everything is. But. Well, and, and again, here's my practical Virgo coming in, but 
perhaps, I mean, I know all of this work that you've done, you know, you've been trying to, you know, finance your travel and everything you do on your own, and oftentimes, you know, you've had to crowdfund from the community and things like that. Do I, you get paid to be the king, nope. and maybe now you will I, be, I don't. be and funded? Fact, it's a poor kingdom, and so what I have to do is raise and pay money to support the people. So none of the projects that I'm working on pay me money. Uh, they're all projects that I support through my Social Security or that I get through crowdfunding from people who want to do something to cha- you know, change the world. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, doing, I I'm doing all these different projects, like the Auschwitz project. I mean, I had to pay my own tickets and everything to go to Auschwitz and to negotiate and put it all together now that it is actually together as a project and I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of my own money, now people want to step in and take over and be part of it. But these projects, I have a very simple thing. Right now, Africa's becoming like the central place where the conflicts are coming together that are creating the terrorists that are coming around the world and bombing us and Syria and everywhere else around the whole world, that's, that's now becoming the new place they're moving to. So as a citizen of the earth and a peacemaker, I feel I have a responsibility since I have skills that make it so that I can take on those people and succeed that I need to do that. And trying to make a living at it or something is a secondary thing. This is trying right. to protect the planet itself and and our relationship to one another. Well, now, I remember when we last spoke, you were headed over to India, and you were going to have the ear of some higher-ups, and you were going to see what you could do to improve the status of women. Did that go anywhere? And as the secondary to that question, let me just say this real quick. Um, As the king there in Ghana, do you have any way to influence uh, getting rid of stuff like female genital mutilation? I already am involved in all those things. Okay, so tell us about that a little bit. Becoming a king has now bumped up my ability to do things significantly from where I was before because... In Ghana, when you're a chief or king in a, a, from a tribal uh, point of view, when they made the constitution for the country, they gave equal power to the kings and queens that they have in Congress and the prime minister and the Supreme Court. So, so I have real clout, and so I use that. And I just, by the way... Um, was invited and got to participate at the General Assembly at the United Nations with all the presidents and stuff this last year, and that was a really big deal, you know, and I went as a king. So cool. It's just a... It's, so, so did you did you have all right? So you're going to work on female genital FGM in Ghana. Um, did you did you you know make any progress on the plight of women in India? Yes. So I've, I I already made progress on the plight of women in India, and I am in a partnership with several people to do a huge project where like half to three-quarters of a billion women's status will be raised 
but I've already changed the lives of probably a few million women in India through my interactions with different leaders in India. I've done that in the last couple of years. And as far as the African thing, the project that I'm currently focused on more than the female genital mutilation, which I am also focused on, and I'm also focused on child marriages. So those are two whole projects that some people devote their whole lives to, and I'm doing them as one of many projects. But in addition to that, I have now become directly involved in uh, rescuing the women who've been charged with witchcraft and have been being executed and have their arms and legs chopped off and, you know, they've got them in compounds and their children and they're accused of being witches and they're not allowed to come back in society. And I am, in my role as a king, rectifying that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So. Well, I... Uh, I'll, what can I do except say, wow? I mean, um, I, that's pretty impressive, Patrick. I mean, to think that you could walk in and 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 just kind of change that culture, you know. Um, I would imagine that that earns you some enemies. Um, I, are, yeah. are you afraid? Well, I mean, I've had people try to kill me and things like that before, so that's part of the job, you know, if, 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 it's like if, if I were in the military and somebody sent me overseas, you know, to fight in the Middle East or something, there would be a, an obvious possibility that somebody's going to shoot you or whatever it is, and you're in the course of doing your job. And I am in a place where the work that I do directly opposes, in some cases, hugely powerful religious organizations and groups, terrorist groups, and then people of power, you know. And in particular, one of my primary series of projects around the world is fighting for and, and the rights of women and raising the status and equality of women in the world. So I've got projects in multiple countries where I'm working at a very high level on raising women's, you know, uh, status and their equality around the world. But when you go to do that, and the country that you're doing it in is a place that suppressed women for a thousand years, the guys there don't like you very much. And, right. you know, when you're in third world countries, in, on any given day, anything can happen to you. So, you know, I've had a few close calls and things like that, but it doesn't deter me. I mean, basically, you know, I'm just doing what I can do as best as I can. Right, right. Well, and it's and it's amazing that you can actually um, accomplish much of anything, you know, when when uh, traditions are so deeply entrenched, you know. Um, I, I mean, it, it's uh, what do you want to know how I do blowing. that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, I think I, it's I don't important for people on your show to know how I do that. So just understand that. The things we've talked about in the last hour, the Ralph Bunch International Peace Award, I've received two of the three highest peace awards in the world. My work at Standing Rock, the Auschwitz Project, the Peace Violin, uh, Peace Projects across Africa, Peace Projects in India. I'm partnered with James Goodall on multiple projects for protecting animals across the planet and the environment. And I'm also a leader 
in green energy and things like that and training people all over the world how to shift to that in order to help, you know, stop climate change and and protect our country. So I'm doing all those things, and that's just like in the last year or so. I've been doing stuff like this for, you know, 25, 30 years straight before that and successfully. And the way that I do it is really simple. The goddess speaks to me. She told me that if I would listen to her voice, she would use me to change the world in a positive way. And that's all I do. Every day, every single morning, I start start by asking her what it is I'm supposed to do. And when she says, go to Africa and save all the people there, I don't go, well, how am I going to get to Africa I don't know anything about it. I wouldn't. There's people. There's millions of people there. Where would I go? All that. I don't do any of that. I just simply move forward towards recognizing I'm going to go to Africa and do a peace project, and I end up doing 100 leaders in Africa and becoming a king. You know, Patrick, you're going to have to write a book. I mean, I honestly, because it's it's hard to figure. I mean, look, I know we ha- we don't have a lot of time to go through all of the details, but it's amazing to me. Even though you said what you just said, I would still love to follow how it falls into place. Because even if you wake up and God says, "Okay, Patrick, your you know your job this month is you're going to go save people in Africa." Okay, you can. Okay, you buy it. Right? How do you know where to go in Africa? How do you you know when you get there what do you do i well, mean me it, it, to get from point a to point b is it just seems incredible you know let me go backwards to give you an example of how she plays her part so that you know we all play our parts what i've learned to do is to not try to take control of something not try to figure what i'm going to do or anything but simply step forward and allow her to take me where it is that she wants me to be. So I want to give you an example that really illustrates it. About 12 years ago, something like that, um, I entered in a kind of contest sort of thing to write a speech um, that where in the country of Kazakhstan, the president of Kazakhstan decided he wanted to invite some of the most famous peacemakers from around the entire world and other world leaders to have a giant conversation about how we create peace and sustainability for our planet. And I was a junior person who never did anything probably, you know, bigger than talking to 50 people at some event or something about, you know, goddess religion or something. And I entered into that competitive situation and ended up being selected and was as a guest of the president of Kazakhstan to Kazakhstan where I was allowed to speak to the leaders of 80 countries on my plan for how I would change the world and I wrote a speech which is online you can go on if you go on my foundation page you can see the speech that was delivered at Kazakhstan you can read it well so I got selected, so you'd think that that would really be the goddess showing up, picking just an ordinary guy like me, and getting me flown, all paid by the president of Kazakhstan, to be one of the people who gets to speak in front of all these world leaders and say what I would do when I'm nobody. Okay? But that wasn't 
her big part in playing it all. I was at that event, and on a few days into the event, they were going to be picking some people to speak before Parliament and be televised on... There were a thousand news stations and channels and all kinds of stuff from all over the world present, and they were going to pick some people, like 20 people, to speak before Parliament. And I, there were like 500 famous peacemakers who were in the mix to be selected, and I'm talking major world Nobel Prize winners, things like that. And I was nobody, so I didn't think my speech would get picked to do that. But I was sitting in the front row with a few thousand people, and on stage, the president of Kazakhstan and some other uh, dignitaries were there. And the person who was like the MC for the whole giant event was uh, a minister of Russia. And he got up to start to say his speech, and he dropped dead on the stage in front of thousands of people, just killed over dead. And so what happened is, is this is in an ex-Soviet Union country. So immediately, Secret Service moved in, and I got kind of pulled in and wrapped up amongst the security people in a small, tighter group in the very front next to the guy who died and the president and all that stuff. And they had a, a physician working on the guy, and you know they couldn't, couldn't revive him and everything, and so they put a sheet over his head. And this man standing next to me says, we need to do something. You know, we need to do a prayer for him or something. And I said to that man, I said, well, why don't you say a prayer? And he goes, I'm not, I'm a politician. I'm not a spiritual person, but I see you're a reverend. Why don't you do the prayer? And I said, well, let's do it together. We, we did a prayer for the guy who had died, and the friggin' guy got back up. Ah! And I will tell you that the man who was there with me told me he felt an energy like nothing he experienced in his whole life, and he just wanted to be my friend. And in fact, he turned out later to be my friend because it turned out he was the prime minister of Jordan, and he invited me to be one of the facilitators for peace talks between Israel and Palestine because of that event. But there were people there who just would not accept that I didn't help raise this guy from the dead in front of thousands of people. And I got picked immediately to give a speech before um, Parliament, and the speech was actually in, we, they announced while we were doing it, it was the very first speech to be uh, sent into outer space, and it was received by the International Space Station, and the captain of the space station spoke back to us and used his onboard cameras to show the Earth while the speech was going on. (laughs) That's the goddess intervening. There's no one and nothing could make that happen. It launched my whole career as a peacemaker, and not only that, but it ended up getting me involved in doing facilitating peace talks between Israel and Palestine, which is one of the foremost conflicts in the entire planet. So that's just one of many times that happened to me. But that's how she works. Wow. 
That's an incredible story. Well, I, I hope you're starting to work on that book, Patrick. Seriously, you lead the most incredibly interesting, faithful, uh, faithful life. I mean, um, so I, I, I don't know book, how. Just come. so you know, if you don't mind my saying, is two thirds of the way done. There are already um, already been approached. Uh, so I've had a few people reading parts that have already been approached by some companies that want to make a mini-series for TV about it. And the book is going to be called Scars, like a scar on your arm. And it's because yeah. I have hundreds of scars all over my body from these various projects where, you know, I'm in some place and, you know, I get bit by a poison serpent and it leaves a scar or... I'm climbing the Himalayas to build schools and, you know, fall off the Himalayas and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the book is a whole series of chapters and vignettes about each of the scars and the story that goes with it. Well, that's, and that's, it, that's, it's a profound uh, book, I can't wait I to read to this. <laughs> so it, 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 it will be coming out, um, you know, this, this upcoming year. I don't think I'll have it done by the end of this year. Um, but it will be a major book. I, I can already tell you because I got big publishers and stuff like that. I already said it's going to be like, you know, at the top of the New York Times bestsellers list and all that kind of stuff like that. So, um, well, that when that happens, you be better not forget me and my. Well, when that happens, you better not forget me and my little show here. You'll have oh, to I come wouldn't. back and talk about your book. <laughs> You're my favorite show and favorite person to talk to, and I have to tell you that you're a doer. And that's what means the most to me. I live in a world where many people want to do good things, but most people talk about doing good things, but they don't actually do anything. They just talk. <laughs> I know what you mean. And, I and, know. And there are people like you who actually step forward and do something. And so you inspire me. You know, oh, well, I'm doing what that. I'm doing, but... I listened to your show, and long ago I listened to your show, and you inspired me, which is why I came on to start with. So, well, and, you know, I, I have to tell you, you, you've sort of, you know, made me feel a little bit better tonight hearing how things can come together out of nowhere because, you know, for five or six or, I don't know, maybe it's even more than that, maybe it's more like seven or eight years, you know, I have had in the back of my mind that I am supposed to do some sort of a TV series on goddess spirituality um, you know, I don't know if it's through the lens of sacred travel or if, I, you know, there's some other ideas I have. And, you know, I have been thinking that that's what I'm supposed to do uh, to help, you know, put her more in the mainstream world. But I never can get the pieces to come together, you know. And I don't know whether it's the timing of it or what in the world it is. But, you know, you've made me sort of, after hearing your story, you've sort of made me feel like, well, you know, if it's supposed to happen, when it's supposed to happen, it'll just happen. I just have to keep trying. Well, so let's talk offline, and I can help you with that. Okay, okay. Okay. Well, and, I, so, so what else What else did you want to talk about? What, I, I know oh, you're okay. going well, to Pittsburgh no, for Earth Day. That, so. <laughs> um, well, so let's see, some of the other things going on. Well, one thing that people might like to know is that uh, – I will be speaking in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for Earth Day. 
and the World Peace Violin will be there with me, and I'm doing multiple different events. So if you want to find out about all the events that I'm doing there, you can, and I don't have the link right with me, so I'm, I'm just going to tell you how you can look it up. Go on one of the search engines and put in Sight Night, S-I-T-E-N-I-G-H-T, and because Sight Night was the original group that was sponsoring me to come speak for them, and I'm going to be speaking for them on God of Spirituality and Peace, and then about the overall peace work I'm doing and have the World Peace Violin playing. But when the city of Pittsburgh found, Pittsburgh found that I'm coming, they've been talking about changing their name to Peacebird. And they're, they're very interested in becoming known as a city for peace and also to focus on, you know, they've been a big manufacturing industrialist city for right. hundreds of years and, and pollution and all that kind of stuff. And now what they want to do is clean up everything and become a central place to show people how you can change, you know, one way of being into another that helps support and sustain our planet. So when they found yeah, out that so I'm coming, I'm now going to be speaking on in the main square, supported by the mayor's office and stuff, um, on peace and sustainability on one day. Then I'll be doing the site night thing that I just told you about. And then I've also now been invited to be the keynote speaker for all the CEOs of the corporations in in Pennsylvania in that area to share with them how they can connect with the sacred and at the same time uh, change the way they do things. I'm going to be sharing with them innovative ideas about how they can take their corporations forward and stop polluting and turn what polluting things there are into usable materials and stuff so that we can sustain our planet. So that's what I'm going to be doing uh, starting, I think, on the 18th of April and then going through the 23rd of April. So if anybody's in that neck of the woods, um, I will be there. And then okay. uh, and then two other little project things going on is that, uh, I don't know if you know who Barbara Marks Hubbard is. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, well, Barbara Marks Hubbard... Um, myself, uh, the, a, a group of people are involved in a project and have approached the United Nations to uh, create a new office for the United Nations, the Office of the Future. So everyone's talking about, you know, how we can take care of sustainability, women's rights, indigenous people's rights, things like that, but nobody's talking about what are we going to do to make a future. Right. So... I'm playing a, a role in that process, and I believe that in a, a fairly reasonable period of time, there will become an officer of the future, and that I will be playing a, a significant part in it. And well, so that that's sounds something, exciting. And that will be for the United Nations. And then, um, oh, a uh, little side thing that, you know, you never know how it's going to come together or not, but I have been contacted by the head representative for um, Richard Branson and and uh, Virgin Galactic, which has already sent multiple space things into space and everything like that, mm-hmm. talking to me about putting a program together to do a speech from outer space on the first space colony 
to uh, promote universal peace, space, universal peace for the entire universe, as opposed to just talking about our planet. So I'm in the midst of conversations around that. So maybe our next conversation, hopefully, won't be that far down the line, will be from out in space. Wouldn't so you you'll actually be in the spaceship that would uh, take you to where would it go? Do you know? Well, so so there's several. So to start with, all this is up in the air. They you know the last space uh, craft that they've sent up multiple successful ones. The last one blew up and crashed. So you know this is a evolving thing. But if I'm alive and everything is going all right and if plans go the way they'd like them to go and all the rest of that stuff, yeah, they're going to take Stephen Hawking up and I'm hoping to ride with him and a few other people. Um, And uh, they're looking to do something to, you know, it'll be a step for humankind that's never happened before. This is a private venture of people getting on a spaceship and they're going to do two things. First, they're going to establish a space station out by the moon, and then they're going to continue on. And I don't know that I would make this trip, even if we're offered, but they're going to continue on and colonize Mars. Wow. But the Mars wow. trip well, is a know, one-way trip, and so, you know, I mean, that's a lot to take on with family and all the rest of that. But sure. as far as going into outer space and, you know, uh, speaking to people from space and talking about the need to really expand our concept of what is sacred and what we need to make sure we're taken care of goes far beyond the Earth. Right, so right, absolutely. I'm interested in participating in that. And it, you know, it, it also may not happen for 25 or 30 years and I'll be long gone or something, you know, but in the moment I'm in conversation and so it's an exciting possibility uh, to at least think about. Well, it sure um, is. Well, and, and, you know, and and not to minimize that, but before we run out of time, you know, I I did want to get your take on what you think about Trump and, um, you know, what you, you know, what you are recommending to the pagan community in terms of um, how they see his presidency or resistance or, you know, I've, you know, I mean, you may disagree with me, but there's a part of me that almost feels like he is a necessary evil. And even though he's doing these things that he's doing, um, I, it look, I, I kind of see the uh, activism that he is inspiring, and, and the you know the common ground and the solidarity that he is inspiring. It makes me think that he is necessary for that to happen, to shake people out of their complacency. And you know, maybe somewhere down the road, you know, five years from now, or I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll be impeached, and he won't even last that long. But I wonder if you might agree that in a way he is a gift, um, or I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What are your thoughts about well, this whole scenario? Well, to start with, it was particularly challenging for me and eye-opening for me to be actually working at Auschwitz dealing with Hitler and the extermination of the Jews and the and the gypsies and the you know trans people and gays and lesbians and all the rest of that 
stuff that took place while Trump was taking his seat in his presidency. I was in the process of an order to establish the Peace Center following step-by-step what happened in Germany. And I have to tell you that, you know, I'm not a historian and I'm kind of aware of what happened in Germany like all of us are, but not in great detail. But I actually was there on the site and had to be studying in detail and watching the daily news reports and reading what I was reading at Auschwitz at the same time was so parallel that for the first time in my life I really have deep concern about where things might go in the future. As a peacemaker and somebody who has very high level of success, even dealing with terrorists and things like that, um, I actually have never come across something quite like this. And at the same time, I'm in Europe. And the leaders of all these countries in Europe, I'm talking to leaders directly, not on news, but actually face-to-face. And they're saying, what's wrong with you guys? We've seen this before. We know how it works. You guys are going down a dark hole. And so whether that's all true or not is hard to say. I'm just sharing what was going on for me in the coming up of Trump. And so now, having watched what he's done, you know, his thing of uh, just uh, without even knowing background information and stuff, shutting down the, or opening up the, and allowing the continuation of the pipeline, which he was an investor in and has all of his friends on, and that he would compromise the potential water sources for all the people sacred land and break the treaties with the Native American people just so he could make money and push his agenda forward, to me, is a really serious problem. I would say that there's a couple things people should think about. Number one, I can tell you from direct personal experience that each and every one of us has the power to change the future. I do it all the time, and anyone on your show listening to this could do it if they just choose to step forward. And so the thing is, Trump is a bump in the line of the continuum of all eternity. So right now for us, this could potentially be the nightmare of all time, but he will come and go and long be forgotten. The trick is, is how do we get through what it is that we're going through for this four-year period and how do we protect the rights of the people and things that have been hardly fought for and won over hundreds of years um, and not let them all go down? Because he ultimately, whether you like him or don't like him, whether you agree with him or don't, or whether you voted for him or not, the straight facts are he is destroying every safety line to every compromised and uh, minority group basically, in this country. And that is a very dangerous thing. So we have to take it really seriously. But you can do things like continue to march, continue to protest, continue to, you know, not go to hotels that he owns. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but, you know, it's like um, major retailers are stopping, you know, the the 
clothing lines and stuff from his family and all kinds mm-hmm. of things like that. And these are ways that we can push back. Um, I always like to think of that. I'm trying to think what the movie is, uh, but it's about the little boy that's in the Amazon and in the end it starts to rain and then one of the elders tells him that every drop of rain can come together and eventually become a flood and then it floods mm-hmm. and it like takes out everything. Well, we are all like drops of rain. And individually, one at a time, you know, we can make a little splat on the ground. But when we come together, we become a torrential force. And I think it's really important right now for all people to step forward to actually do something. Don't just cower down in despair, but actually do something. And that something could be so simple as just speaking out, writing something online, you know, could be going to a protest or a gathering or a conversation or a film or whatever it is, but something that is countering the narrative that's currently being put out. And with that power, we will overcome these problems. And then in answer to your actual question, I would say that for me, Trump is the absolute last thing I'd like to see to come into the world to help us push ourselves forward in a better way. But there is some truth to what you said. For the first time in my whole lifetime, um, at least in the last half century, I have not ever seen people come together as a group or unit to the level that they're doing it right now in opposition of him and things he's trying to do. And so that is hopeful. You know, it's yeah. hopeful that we're willing to stand up when things get bad enough. Yeah. Well, because, you know, my thought was, you know, when there weren't enough people, un- I, I'm just thinking big picture, you know, maybe there weren't enough people uncomfortable, you know, to make that paradigm shift happen. I know you and I have talked about we were on the tip of a knife and we could go in either direction. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it just felt like, you know, I would say to myself, you know, where are the people? You know, why are they letting these, I mean, this was even under Obama, you know, mm-hmm. why are people not marching in the street? You know, why are they accepting this as normal? And um, and it just felt like there weren't enough people uncomfortable. But now there are a lot more people uncomfortable. And uh, not that I like what's going on, but I wonder if this wasn't some sort of a necessity, you know, to rattle cages, to wake people up. Well, and it could be, but a fundamental part of my piecework in the world is to share with each person that if you choose to do something, I call it stepping forward, and you can step forward for anything. I mean, it can literally be, say, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to hold the sign up. I'm not happy with how things are going. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't have to, you know, go camp at Standing Rock for two months in the freezing cold and be, you know, shivering and dying. Some people choose to to take it on that way. But the problem with most people in the world today, especially the last generation of people, which is our generation really, um, and then the newest generation coming up now, um, the millennials and all that kind of stuff like that, have really been taught that there's nothing we can do. 
that there is a weight, weight moving forward, a power or a force that's just taken the world in a certain direction, and it's kind of like you can look at it, you can acknowledge it, but honestly, it's just the way things are, and it's going to go down. And I'm a person who says, that's a bunch of crap. If you look in history, you will see repeated over and over and over again that when things get bad, people rise up. When people rise up, it changes everything. And so and, we're and, in a time And I'm hoping where, that that's what this I'm hoping that's what this is, you know. Yeah, and I'm 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 hopeful that for that too. Um, you know, I mean I have a little different circumstance than other people. You have to recognize that for most people when they talk about, you know, the problems that come out are coming up out of the Trump presidency and people losing rights and social programs being taken away and the concepts of, I mean, they ha- I watched on TV the Secretary of State when asked on a TV interview what the United States was going to do for all the people who were going to die from the famine in Africa and who are already dying. Millions of people will starve to death. And we are one of the countries who have the wherewithal and the ability and have in the past showed up to save those people. And he said online that we are going to cut funds to those people, not even show up with more, but actually take away what funds we have been giving to them. And we're going to put that into the military because by building a stronger military, we are doing more to contribute to peace on earth and saving the starving people. Wow. So for me, most people are disturbed by that. But my job is to take that on. And as you can see, I have a lot on my plate. And so besides having all these projects I'm working on, I am literally on the front edge of working to counter all the Trump stuff. So those are another 20 projects I'm not even talking about right now. I'm on multiple projects. So every time he says he's going to do something, I move my resources, my friends, connections, and everything together to block it. Right. And and the thing is, is that's exhausting. I wish this guy never had showed up. Right, right, right. Well, and, and, you know, with everything you've got going on, I don't know how you find time to sleep. (laughs) I don't sleep much. Right now, my my normal day, well, I'll I'll give you an example of my current days. And I'm booked all the way through until January, traveling all around the world and multiple other projects I haven't even shared with you yet. Jane Goodall and I are working together on a project to uh, look to getting personhood for animals, for example. And and so there's all these huge projects I'm on. But I start every morning at between 3 and 3.30 a.m. I write on my book for a couple of hours. Then I move on to my peace projects internationally and try to have those caught up by 9 o'clock in the morning. And then starting at 9, I make my coffee, something to eat and everything. And then I go to work on all these other projects around the world. And I work until I fall asleep. And I do that seven days a week, uh, 30 days a month, 365 days a year for years. Wow. And I thought I was busy. (laughs) 
I'll never complain mm-hmm. again, Patrick. <laughs> well, we can all complain. Each of us does what we do. And that's another thing yeah. I like to tell people to make sure you do with other people. I like to honor every person who shows up. And we all have different things that we can contribute. This is what I'm good at. That's why I'm doing it. But some other people are just good at raising their kids to grow up to be a kid that will be making a better world. And that's right, just right. as much of a contribution as what I'm doing. I, I, I mean, we all do what we can. We all have our part to play, yeah. Exactly. I but mean, the trick yeah, we... is to play your part. That's the big message I'd like to give everybody is don't just sit and think somebody else is going to do it. It requires yeah. you doing it. And yeah. then all of a sudden you'll be one of those drops of rain joining all the other ones, and pretty soon we'll prevail. Well, on that positive note, um, we're going to have to, uh, you know, call this uh, call this to an end here tonight. Um, uh, it, it would, you know, anything in particular uh, you want to leave us with? Uh, any other words of wisdom, words of advice, anything? Well, I would just say that, you know, I believe in my heart that peace is possible and within peace is covering sustainability, the ability for all of us to get along. And I have identified what the central factor to creating peace is. And if people could just take it right now, I'll share it with you, and think about it and think about how they can promote that then they could change the planet and, you know, maybe the whole universe and everything eventually. And that is this, that diversity itself is sacred. If you look at the whole world, but just take the people, take every woman in the world. There's not one woman in the whole world that's like any other one. Not one man in the world is anything like any other man. Not one tree that's like any other tree. They have similarities. Maybe they wear the same clothes or they have long hair, short hair, whatever. But the truth is, as a unique being, they are as unique as a snowflake, every one of us. And yet everyone around the world is creating narratives that we need to be like them. You know, Christianity, you got to you know accept their beliefs and then you got to be Christian. And be a Muslim. You got to be a man. You got to be a woman. You got to be a successful business person. You have to be all these different narratives. And what happens is we have a whole world of people who don't fit the narratives that people are trying to shove them into, and consequently they're not happy. And that's what causes conflict. When we come to a day that we recognize that if there is one constant in all creation. It is that diversity itself is the foremost sacred and recognizable trait. Then we can move away from the narratives that drive us to separate ourselves and create the other, and we can all become one. And that's what I like people just to think about. How can you look at your neighbor, your enemy, your friend, whoever it is, and look at them and go, they are a unique, sacred human being on their own, and I don't need to make them into something else. Instead, yeah. what I need to do is to see them, hear them, and appreciate them for who they are. And I have to tell you, if we did that, we wouldn't have ISIS. We wouldn't have, you know, bombers. We wouldn't even have President Trump. 
we wouldn't have had patriarchy. <laughs> no. And, and so it's you something know. to focus on. And it's, that's something people can do on their own. They can do that. And I'd, yeah. I'd like people to make an effort to do that. I, I I totally agree. Uh, very wise words. Thank you, Patrick. Well, um, it's it's been enjoyable talking to you tonight and catching up. Um, I will try to connect with you after the show, uh, you know, or one day during the week whenever you have a chance to talk about that project. But I want to thank you for, uh, you know, for bringing us up to date on all your good works. Uh, it certainly is inspirational. It gives us hope. Uh, I think uh, maybe it also maybe lights a fire under people, you know, when they hear your story to think that, uh, well, you know, you're a regular guy and you're doing all of this stuff. You know, maybe I could do a little bit more too, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think they thank could. You. People who want to follow what's going on and find ways to contribute, you can go to patrickmccollum.org and follow. Or if you're somebody who's on Facebook, just friend me. Friend me. I got thousands of people on my personal Facebook, Patrick McCollum. And the thing is, is that's where I actually share most of my stuff. I do share things on my on my foundation Facebook. I mean, you know, foundation uh, page on a regular basis, but on a daily basis, where I really share everything is right on Facebook. And I have huge conversations okay. going on all the time with people. And if they want to know what they can do or how they can contribute or anything like that, that's the place where they can find out the most. All right. Well, okay. thank you, Patrick. Um, i got to get to some um, uh, some commercials here for a couple, couple folks uh, before time runs out. But thank you so much uh, right. for doing what you're doing in the world and for spending time with my listeners tonight. Okay. Many blessings. Okay. Be safe, be safe, Bye-bye. and be well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, thank you for staying with us uh, for the duration of uh, of this call with Patrick. Uh, but before I uh, let you go tonight, uh, you have to hear a word from Joe Carson and Laura Perry. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature, separate from the earth. I'm as much of the earth as a walker as you. And I came out of it because this is my mother's planet. I grew out of the earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you've been listening to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about uh, Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddess as Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. 
You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at dancingwithgaia.com. And uh, Laura Perry, uh, expert on Minoan Crete, you've heard her here on the show. Uh, she has a little something to tell you as well. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book, and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. Well, I want to thank you, dear listeners, for being with us tonight. And uh, as I always say, remember, what, uh, what you nurture, it thrives, and what you neglect, it withers. So uh, be mindful of what you put your energy into, and do be sure you put your energy and your focus into the things that really matter to you. Don't let them be stagnant. Uh, don't let those... Um, uh, don't let those die away. Uh, you you want the things that are important to you to blossom and flourish. So be sure you nurture that. And if this show is something that uh, nurtures you, if this is a well that feeds you uh, or a spring that feeds you, uh, I do hope you will consider uh, sending in uh, some sort of a donation to help uh, pay for airtime uh, because the airtime here does not come free. And you can do that simply by going to my website, karentate.com. Uh, once you're there, go to the Goddess Store page. And once you're at the Goddess Store page, you can just scroll all the way down to the very bottom. There is a PayPal button there, and you can make a donation of any amount. Or um, I'm always happy when you look at my books or my Goddess greeting cards or, or DVDs or any of the other items that I have there for sale. Uh, when you purchase directly from me rather than from Amazon, uh, it does help me a bit uh, to continue to do my work. Uh, and as promised at the top of the show, um, I said I would let you hear uh, all of Elaine Silver's uh, music uh, that we started the show with, uh, and it was her cut by the earth. So uh, I will say good night to you now. Uh, I hope you'll be back with me next Wednesday and every Wednesday. Uh, it would be great if you hit, uh, go to the show page on Blog Talk and hit the follow button. Uh, that way you get notice of uh, each show every week and you don't uh, miss our wonderful guests. Um, so please do that uh, before you leave tonight. Uh, and uh, here is uh, By the Earth by Elaine Silver. Uh, be well, be safe, and... Uh, Make sure you have fun. Good night. By the earth that is her body, by the air that is her breath, by the fire that is her bright spirit, by the living waters of her womb, 
May the peace of the goddess be forever in your heart. The circle is open but unbroken. Merry meet and merry part. By the earth that is her body, by the air that is her breath, by the fire that is her bright spirit, by the living waters of her womb. May the peace of the fairies be forever in your heart. The circle is open but unbroken, merry meet and merry part. By the earth that is her body, by the air that is her breath, by the fire that is her bright spirit, by the living waters of her bright spirit, may the peace of the goddess be And then.